Our uh, Old Testament reading today is, uh, will be read by uh, one of our beloved members. And so now I invite you to uh, prepare your heart and mind as we hear the words from Zechariah. The Old Testament text is from Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10. Rejoice, rejoice, people of Zion. Shout for joy, you people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He comes triumphant and victorious, but humble and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. The Lord says, I will remove the war chariots from Israel and take the horses from Jerusalem. The bowls used in battle will be destroyed. Your king will make peace among the nations. He will rule from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Thanks be to God. And our gospel reading today comes from uh, Luke chapter 19 beginning with verse 37. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, scold your disciples. Tell them to stop. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones themselves would shout. As Jesus came to the city and observed it, he wept over it. He said, if only you knew on this of all days the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The time will come when your enemies will build fortifications around you, encircle you, and attack you from all sides. They will crush you completely, you and the people within you. They won't leave one stone on top of another within you because you didn't recognize the time of your gracious visitation from God. Siblings in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we were supposed to read a different Palm Sunday text today. In the lectionary lineup, uh, it's actually Matthew's turn at bat this year, but I asked uh, Luke to step in as a pinch hitter because his subdued telling of the, the triumphal entry story just seemed more appropriate to me in these days of COVID-19. Luke's triumphal entry account is, is um, less crowded, less noisy. There's no mention of hosannas, uh, branches cut from trees. And uh, unlike Matthew and Mark, in which crowds of people press in to cheer Jesus, Luke describes this as a disciples-only event. It's the disciples, not the general public, who set Jesus on the cult, who spread their garments on the road, who sing praises and hail him as king. So uh, Luke's Palm Sunday account is a more modest affair, which 
in these days sounds about right, doesn't it? But the other reason I decided to switch Matthew's Palm Sunday narrative uh, for Luke's is that of the four gospel writers, Luke is the only one who shows us the tears in Jesus' eyes that day. And I don't know about you, but these days I need to feel Christ weeping with me. In our text, Jesus has been making his way toward Jerusalem, and now he's on the outskirts of the city, and he's standing there on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And he and all of his disciples have this magnificent view of the city of Jerusalem. And as I imagine this scene, I, I see him standing there, taking it all in, gazing down at the, the gates and walls and that beautiful temple of God down below. But then how astonished we are to see him bow his head and begin to weep. We know that Luke wrote his gospel some 40, some 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so by the time Luke wrote his gospel, a terrible war uh, has taken place between Israel and the Roman Empire that's brought about the fall of the city, the destruction of the temple. And all of this is fresh in Luke's memory as he recalls Jesus' approach to Jerusalem 70 years earlier. And what's been actually humming inside of me all this week as I have sat with this text is though even though it's clear that Luke sees the fall of destruction, uh, the fall of Jerusalem as a direct result of the people's rejection of Jesus, a rejection of, quote, the things that make for peace, far from celebrating the downfall of those who would make themselves his enemies, what Luke remembers about that day is the tears in Jesus' eyes. And what he recalls about this scene is the sight of Christ weeping. Frederick Beekner said that whenever we find tears in our eyes, especially unexpected tears, we would do well to pay attention because our tears are telling us something important about who we are. And if that's true for us, I ask you to consider today the significance of the tears of God. When we lived in Atlanta, I had the great honor of being uh, the pastor of a retired pastor from California. His name was Vernon, Vern to all of us who knew him. And he'd moved to Atlanta from California to be closer to his son and his son's family. But years ago, uh, long before he became a pastor, Vern was a soldier in World War II. And he often told his family stories about the war, so often, in fact, that they were able to finish his sentences for him. But one day, Vern told them a story that they hadn't heard before, the kind of story you don't enjoy telling, especially your family. And he told them about a time when, uh, as he and his buddy were lying in a foxhole, uh, they came under fire and were pinned to the ground by incoming bullets whizzing overhead. And Vern looked over and saw his buddy, Joe, lying there and shaking uncontrollably. And he called out to his friend, are you all right? And his buddy, Joe, yelled back through chattering teeth, I'm scared to death. So a few days later, the two of them are walking through a shoulder-high trench, um, 
something like maybe you saw in last year's World War I epic movie, uh, 1917. Uh, and their assignment as they walked through the trench was to look for enemy soldiers in the trench and to take them captive if possible. And if they can't capture them alive, they have orders to kill them. So Vernon and his buddy are walking gingerly through the trench, rifles pointed ahead, ready to fire, when they spot a lone German soldier crouching in a crevice in the mud. And the man is trembling so violently, he's barely able to hold himself together. Vern motions to the man to stand. And when the soldier realizes they aren't going to shoot him, his face immediately changes and he stops shaking. And some 60 years later, my friend Vern was still obviously moved by that one memory. He told his family, I can see the change in that soldier's countenance to this very day. Vern's son asked, Dad, what did you experience inside yourself when you looked into that soldier's eyes? And Vern paused and thought for a moment. Then he looked back at his family and he said, compassion. I felt enormous compassion for that German soldier. Well, standing among the olive trees, looking down at Jerusalem, on that hillside that day, gazing on a city filled with people who would make themselves his enemies. The heart of Christ overflows with compassion and he weeps. And as we see hot tears sliding down Jesus' face, suddenly, friends, we, we're standing on holy ground as it occurs to us that he weeps not only for them, but also for us. Would you let yourself think for a moment what it means to be wept for by God? For one thing, it means that you and I are in some mysterious way somehow tucked inside God's very own heart. Tears, you know, don't flow from the rational mind. Jesus doesn't weep for Jerusalem or over us because of a strongly held opinion or ideology. His lament doesn't rise from his head, but from a heart filled with compassion. The tears of Christ tell us that we're not loved by a God who phones it in or preaches advice, a God just waiting to catch us when we mess up. No, we are loved by a God doubled over by grief at all the pieces around us and in us. So I ask you today, can, can you feel the tears of God falling over all our rebellions and retaliations and rejections of the things that make for peace? And can you also feel the tears of God falling this very day for the grief and suffering of countless people around the world in this global pandemic? Can you hear the voice of love cry, oh, New York? Oh, New Orleans, Chicago, Seattle, Detroit. Oh, Italy, China, Iran, France. Oh, Spain. And as we stand with Jesus as he cries, can you also hear his whispered invitation to bow our heads and do some crying of our own? 
yesterday, uh, Tim and I gathered by Zoom uh, with the contemplative group that we've been part of since last September. We've come to cherish these friends and these moments we've spent together. And we hadn't seen each other since February, and since so much has changed since then, we spent some time yesterday catching up and checking in on each other. And Jerusha, who helps lead the group, invited everyone to share uh, with each other a gratitude and a lament. And uh, most of us immediately launched into the things we're grateful for, which is lovely. You know, gratitude does help all of us to hold perspective and hopefulness and, and joy. But one of our group members, when it came her turn, said, you know what, I need to come back to lament. Can, can we please not skip over the lament? And somehow this opened up some new space in the group yesterday for speaking our pain, our sense of loss, our fears, our, our frustrations. But then an interesting thing happened. Our lament over our pain, our loss, naturally migrated into laments and prayers for other people's pain. We prayed for our neighbors, we prayed for our church, our nation, our world. Because see, that's what compassion always does. It runs away from home. It tears down walls, breaks through barriers, it builds bridges of love and empathy and understanding. Shortly after COVID-19 began to take hold here in the US, a woman in Seattle, a young mother and a contemplative Catholic Christian wrote a prayer that has since circled the globe many times. And the prayer is a simple invitation to practice empathy, to practice compassion, the compassion so evident in Jesus on that day he stood on that mountainside. And so, I want to share her prayer with you this morning, and I ask that we let it be our prayer together. May we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making the rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those who have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market Remember those who have no margin at all. May we who are settled in for a quarantine at home remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us yet find ways to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbors. Amen. Friends, there are many, many people throughout the world right now and even in our neighborhoods who need more than ever to feel the embrace of God, to feel the peace of God. So I ask you this morning on this Palm Sunday, what if we become the people who let down some of our defenses and let the Prince of Peace make a home in us? 
We can be the people who get up and live God's shalom. We can be the people who speak God's peace and make God's peace and are God's peace. We can do that right here in Washington. We can do that from here to every corner of the world. May God make it so. Amen.